Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 16. Uh, the Skype is actually going to work with us today and uh, not mess with all of us edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Matthew. I'm with my co-host, Joshua Fine, and we introduce a new guest, hopefully a regular guest and uh, someone we're going to be doing collaborations with across on his podcast, the host of Formula One Grid Talk, George Housen. Uh, staying up early morning because he doesn't have AC and he likes, uh, he's a night owl. So um, welcome, George, uh, Josh, uh, different uh, GSP. We're having guests on tonight. We're going to have to make it seem like we're a professional outfit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And glad to be talking to you. Sorry you got no AC right now. I mean, I live in Florida, so um, oh. it would hurt, but I feel your pain. Josh was playing off uh, Category 1 Hurricane last week on the show, so the no heat, no AC is not that big of a deal. So we He does feel your pain, though. I had no AC last week during the show, too, so. It's a pain, we're, yeah. We're all, we're, all in the no, we're all in the no AC crowd here. So <laughs> along with the no AC, uh, George is on here, obviously, to bring his knowledge and uh, on – in regards to the Formula One uh, World Championship, along with Formula Two, Formula Three, we're going to talk about the 70th anniversary Grand Prix here in this first part of the GSP and uh, preview the Spanish Grand Prix. We'll also talk about uh, uh, Logan Sargent and his uh, first win in F3, some of the other um, uh, key standouts there and in Formula Two. Uh, full immersion of Formula One here in the first half of the show. And then in the second half of the show, we're going to have uh, NASCAR uh, rising star Dawson Cram. He uh, got a top 15 finish in the truck series event at uh, Michigan International Speedway for long motorsports, uh, 14th place. Uh, he was on Talking in Circles uh, with my buddy Clayton Caldwell. I'm on there too. give them a listen as well. And uh, last night, and he'll be on tonight as well. We're going to have him on for a fully immersed NASCAR side um, of the telecast. But first, 70th anniversary Grand Prix, Max Verstappen uh, goes and uh, takes down Mercedes for the first time all year. Uh, You know, better strategy for Red Bull, better tire wear, being able to keep the tires uh, within reason, not having blisters, not having extreme tire wear, uh, gave Max Verstappen his first win of the year, uh, takes over second in the world championship from Valtteri Bottas, who started on pole, finished third behind Lewis Hamilton, who um, Valtteri was not very happy about that uh, pit uh, situation there. We'll get into that. Charlie Claire finished fourth. Uh, Alexander Albon and the no good uh, Red Bull finished fifth, beating Daddy's Money in sixth. And the guy that they pitted in f- so that he would get the sixth place finish, uh, his teammate Nico Hulkenberg in seventh, Esteban Ocon eighth, Lando Norris ninth, and Danny Kvyat in tenth. Gasly finished 11th after a seventh place finish the week before. Um, only one uh, retirement tire vibration for Kevin Magnuson, so a nightmare two races for him at uh, at Silverstone. So um, first I'll uh, throw to my co-host, Josh, 
Um, what did you take away from Max Verstappen going and uh, going and uh, getting the first win, non Mercedes win of uh, 2020 for Red Bull there at Silverstone? Yeah, I was definitely surprised to see Max Verstappen win. Um, you know, we thought it would be a battle between Mercedes at least, if if not Lewis Hamilton, maybe Valtteri Bottas would um, come out with the a victory. But then, you know, something that we thought might be a um, storyline for this race was how the tire wear would com- um, go about the the tire strategy compared to the uh, previous weekend at Silverstone. You know, last week we ended with tire failures, and Max Verstappen wasn't sure like um, if if they would be able to catch Lewis Hamilton on the last lap, and and um, if they should have pitted or not. And then this uh, race, they decided to start out on the hard tires, and that you know allowed them to go a little bit longer on their um strategy and get clean air and he was able to push and um you know he's able to stay within a second of uh the mercedes cars at the very beginning of the race and then once he got in clean air he was just able to you know make it a huge gap and then um you know then he was able to switch to the softer tires and he was able to keep pace with uh, the mercedes and you know they had some blistering problems and all that um which i guess maybe that's something i have to look at um going forward if or if that was just uh something at silverstone but you know, it was, um, there he was able to capitalize on that and uh, get the victory. And um, you know, it was good to see a, a different winner so far. You know, we've had Mercedes dominating the season so far, uh, whether it was Hamilton or Bodas, and now uh, Verstappen has uh, a victory and and maybe um, put a little bit of a dent, however much, into uh, Lewis Hamilton's championship lead. And hopefully, he's um, able to contend for more victories later this season. Yeah, basically, it was a wash after everything that happened over two races at uh, Silverstone. Lewis Hamilton will be going to this week's Spanish Grand Prix, still with a 30-point lead. It was a Botas coming into the race on Sunday, and now Max Verstappen is uh, behind by 30 points. So it's still more than a Grand Prix uh, win and change there. Uh, George... Uh, you're you spend all your time on this, so I want to get your take on uh, this race and Max Verstappen and Red Bull going and kind of putting it on uh, Mercedes, uh, taking advantage of the weakness. Which I I mean you're aware Mercedes usually is, has one weakness every year. There's certain things or certain tracks that bring it out. This temperature plus the track and what the tires were asking for, I think, was the weakness in terms of being able to make the tires last in a hotter condition. And also, you have Max Verstappen doing what Max Verstappen does. Uh, what did you take away uh, from that whole performance from Red Bull, from Max Verstappen, and, and also what Mercedes had going on through the entire weekend? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show. Really do appreciate it, guys. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, we kind of saw a bit of a preview of it um, last weekend for the British Grand Prix. We saw obviously Bottas and Hamilton getting the punctures. They obviously were struggling with the tyres. A, a stage softer again uh, for this weekend than we just had at the 70th anniversary GP. Um, I mean, Verstappen's always been there. He's always been the guy that's been close to challenging the Mercedes cars because they, they are the fastest in the field, the two Mercs. But just Verstappen's performance, just like it, it, the, the speed that he can get out of that car is unbelievable. I mean, it was just sort of there with Mercedes at the start of this race. And 
he was the only guy anywhere near. Hulkenberg was very distant fourth. He was doing a great job, by the way, obviously, but he was a long way behind him fourth. And yeah, just he just kept it in there. He kept the tires better, and he just stormed to the win in the end. And it's just it's just that just the power and just the um, just the assertiveness he had when he was overtaking Bottas after uh, I think it was his second stop. That just kind of summed up his performance, and he won by eleven seconds in the end. And I think. It's really put a spanner in Mercedes' works list because up until now, they just seemed bulletproof. It seemed like they could well win every race this year. But now going to Spain, where there's going to be some more hot weather like there has been, where another t- another track where the tyres are always um, screaming <laughs> screaming no more, basically. you know, It's it's really made this season a lot more interesting. Yeah, it's, it's something to look at. I, I mean, I, great points by both of you guys. The, for me, as an LH guy, I've been tortured in a sense, not because of, of it sounds disingenuous when the guys won eight trillion races and all these polls, but you have to take it with a grain of salt when you consider Mercedes has gotten in their own way, whether it's strategy, whether it's mechanicals, at least initially in the 1.6 liter um, ice era that has existed. Uh, you know, Nico Rosberg being the douche that he is also existing, all those things in play, Mercedes would be their own worst enemy and get in the way. Then when, when Vettel and Ferrari would go and have good years, like 2017, 2018, they were the better team the first half of the year. And then, what we see currently of Sebastian Vettel and some of the mistakes or some of the things that have gone on kind of go back two years to when he crashed while leading at the German Grand Prix. And I almost think that there was, that was a seminal moment for both him and Lewis, because I mean, you had Lewis go and win that race, even though uh, Vettel should have won. He had it won, no problem. He crashes, a mistake that he would have never made in his prime at Red Bull. Um, Long story short, Mercedes over this last couple of years has mitigated the mistakes. They've kind of made better strategy calls. Bono is able to keep Lewis calm enough. And then you have a very competent, solid driver in Valtteri Bottas who could be a number one at the vast majority of the teams on this grid um, who is able to score a ton of points, which is why it looks like this domination exists. I do believe, though, they always have some chink in the armor, and this is what it is. They got through Hungary fine. They were able to get through last week somehow with Lewis, the first race with Lewis barely. Um, Of course, Botas gave away any real shot at the championship as of now by by having his tire problem. And basically, he went from being right there with the world championship to uh, being right where Max is, which is basically giving a race away like Max had to give away at the first race in Austria. So now both of them are in the same boat. They're both going to be charging and you have Lewis going and managing points, which for a guy who many years ago couldn't do that. Now he's figured that out because of his greatness and his ability to learn how to manage. And so 
bringing up, you know, Spain before we get into it, I think it's more management for Lewis. He doesn't have to worry about going and getting a win on Sunday. He has to just get a podium. It's Botas and Verstappen that have to worry about getting a win. And they may end up taking each other off. And then Lewis goes and gets a win. And then he has a 50-point lead. You know, like that's 55-point lead. And then all of a sudden, you're talking about this thing is basically over before the summer break. Um, That's all conjecture uh, to be determined. I want to go into another piece. You know, we go into the fourth. Basically, we could go into that midfield battle. It starts with Charles, Charles Leclerc and uh, Alexander Albon. I mean, he's not midfield, but his qualifying has been a struggle. There's been issues. There's rumors because there always is with Red Bull because they don't know how to manage drivers that they make on their own. Um uh, Josh, I want to get your thoughts on what Leclerc and then I'll go to George in terms of or actually I'll go to George first in terms of Charles Leclerc. We talked about that and I was talking elsewhere, I think, about what he's been able to do so far this year in a car that's basically, you know, for lack of a better comparison to toilet on wheels. Um <laughs> And and you have Alexander Albon who struggled his BFF, one of his BFFs, George Russell, came out and spoke about how Red Bull isn't giving him a car uh, that is he's capable of doing what he needs to do. Simon Rennie's back, a longtime engineer at Red Bull. I worked with Ricardo. Um, he got a fifth place finish after another somewhat tough run in qualifying up. Give me your take on what both those have been doing, but in general, what the 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 midfield looks like in terms of uh, this year with uh, F1 in your eyes. Well, I mean, like you mentioned, Charles Leclerc, he's just been unbelievably quick. He's <laughs> he's he's been incredible. I mean, 45 of Ferrari's 55 points this season have come from Leclerc. Just 10 for Sebastian Vettel. Um, I think aside from the crash, obviously in the steering Grand Prix. Leclerc hasn't put a wheel wrong. He's dragging that car into podiums and near podiums. He got a fourth place at uh, the 70th anniversary Grand Prix. He got a podium at Silverstone as well. Another podium in Austria. I mean, it's just unbelievable. That car, it's on pure pace, it's probably around where Sebastian Vettel is. You know, it's around 10th, 11th, something like that. But he is, through strategy or just sheer determination, he's dragging that car up there. And I think it's... Partly, obviously, I think the difference between him and Vettel is partly because Vettel has lost confidence in the team. He's lost faith in the team. The team's lost faith in him. It's all really going wrong for him. But it's also because I think Leclerc has got so much to prove and he can he can just drive the wheels of anything. He's a bit like Verstappen. He's a bit like Hamilton in that. You can drive, give him a car and he'll just get the best out of it. He'll do better than what you ever think he can do in it. He really outperforms it like all the great champions do. Um, but, yeah, uh, Red Bull as well. I mean, like, I, I think it's really harsh for Albon because he's got Max Verstappen as a teammate. So he's always being compared to him. And B, I don't think that Red Bull's that great most of the time. I mean, it's been really unbalanced. I, it seemed a lot better for the, seven, uh, the, the second Silverstone race. It seemed to be a lot better there. I mean, he dragged that car up from the lower end of the top 10, I think it was, at the start to fifth, and he was quick. So that car is looking better, and he's looking a lot better in it. And 
I, I, I don't think the guy should be put under any pressure, really. You know, he's, what is he, like 22, 23, around the same age as Max Verstappen, admittedly, but a lot less experienced than F1. And I think the kid needs time, but he's at Red Bull where they just don't give you any. And the pressure's immense. The pressure's arguably more than what it is to drive for Ferrari in some ways. And obviously with Gasly doing so well at AlphaTauri, questions are going to be asked of him. And I, I don't think that's right. I, I don't want to see him get replaced. I don't want to see him get demoted. But it's always a possibility. I mean, the two AlphaTauri drivers now <laughs> used to be Red Bull drivers not too long ago. Gasly got demoted last season and Kvyat like back in 2015 or whenever it was. 2016, sorry. Um, but yeah, so I mean... Red Bull, they're in a clear second. I think they're going to be fine to get second in the championship. Um, Ferrari are going to do very well to get third. Um, with the likes of McLaren and Renault and Racing Point. I mean, that Racing Point car is very quick when it gets hooked up and when it's in the hand of somebody that's not Lance Stroll, basically. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. I mean, like you said, Hulkenberg should have definitely finished ahead of Stroll. I don't know why they pit him. It's, it's so weird, but I mean, what do you guys think is going to happen with Hulkenberg at the next race? Because I'm not 100% sure what has to happen. Obviously, Perez is the normal driver for that car, but what's going to happen in terms of his um, his COVID quarantines? That's a that's a big question that nobody's really given a definitive answer on. Well, Josh, I'm going to send that to you first before I give my take. Uh, we can go and start with where Checo Perez stands. We haven't heard anything about whether he's going to run this weekend or not. Um, he got, he ended up getting another positive to where he got held back for the last race. Um, maybe it's a safe play for them to go and run Nico after a very strong run qualifying third on Sunday, having paced all weekend. And then just during the race because of poor strategy and, you know, having to pull over for the owner's son. Um, he ended up finishing seventh, but also uh, you could take that, but then you can also take on uh, what Leclerc and Albon are dealing with uh, so far in 2020. Yeah, I mean, going off of uh, Sergio Perez, I mean, I haven't seen anything yet, like what his status might be for the next Grand Prix. But, I mean, if I'm uh, the racing point, team you have to really think hard about the kind of performance that nico holkenberg was able to put on on sunday and you know he's able to uh struggle actually really to get p3 um in that qualifying session and it's quite impressive just on the fact that you know he hasn't been in f1 really this year and and he's basically relegated um to backup driver test driver role um, this year and you know he's able to still show that he's very talented um, as an F1 driver and I would think maybe about you know rolling with the the momentum into the next Grand Prix um, just for uh, the team's sake and and for him um, to continue to um, show uh, what he can do and put another race on his resume in a, um, what seems to be a very good uh, racing point car with um, their pink Mercedes for this season. So I, I think they should probably um, just roll with the hot hand, but, you know, as far as uh, Charles Leclerc uh, goes, I think, you know, he's, if he's able to put together a good stretch of races um, coming up um, this season, as far as uh, how long, however long it goes, uh, 
I mean, I think he could end up being the best of the rest uh, of the midfield. And I think, you know, he's going to be able to um, carry that uh, Ferrari team for this season. And he's definitely out driving the car. He's outperforming the equipment. Um, and it's, you know, it's clear that, you know, he has the confidence in his car. And, you know, even if um, he didn't have the problem that he had with the crash um, the second race of the season, I think he might be a, a dark horse as a, a title contender or at least um, be on the podium if um, if it weren't for that, just based on his results that, he, that he's had this season. But I think he'll be the best of the rest, and, you know, he's definitely got a lot of confidence. And I think in the future, I think he'll be somebody to watch, um, you know, possibly challenge or, you know, take over um, Formula One um, if uh, Ferrari is able to get things right as far as the car goes. And then, you know, with Alex Albon, you know, obviously he has a lot of pressure and you have to wonder, like, just how much pressure is he going to be under internally um, now that Max Verstappen has won a race? You know, now that you talk about, like, how he's being compared to Max Verstappen, he has all that pressure um, being how he's the second driver and and the, the seat is very hot, obviously, because Red Bull, you know, they have a lot of um, talent that they um, that they have in the back on the back burner that they could put in easily if they wanted to you just wonder like how much longer he, he might have but um you know i think he's definitely talented enough to stay in the series um i think he's definitely talented to stay in the series and stay in in the in the car but you know it'll, it'll have to depend on his performance going on throughout this season but i'm i would be confident in his ability he just needs um time to put together um good consistent finishes uh throughout the season yeah absolutely there's i mean we're talking about something that is going to keep on evolving you have to look at a lot of these new races that are going to be coming up they're going to be going to um oh for the first time they're going to be going to portimao for the first time they'll be returning to imola for the first time in 15 years 16 cars that are way different than what they had in 2006 tires everything is different from the last time they ran at Imola um it, it, there's there's a lot of things to evolve these races recently haven't kind of I mean I think what we've seen these last two weeks at at Silverstone might be more of the the norm uh I figure Albon's gonna get a podium soon enough I think uh, Leclerc, what he's been doing with a car that is not very good, uh, it shows Ferrari has put all their eggs in his basket. They know he's a future. If anything, they sell out this next, you know, season and change uh, to when do the same way as why Fernando Alonso is coming back to run at Renault. Uh, he's basically telling him, give up next year. Let's go and get ready for 22. Um, other veteran type drivers um, trying to come back, whether it's Nico Hulkenberg, whether which we'll, we'll get in here into here in a second, um, or Checo Perez, you know, people that are trying to go and and stay in Formula One, get back in Formula One to go and get in these rides because 2022 is a reset. Carlos Sainz is going to be going. Ferrari, he's hoping for better than finishing right behind Vettel, which he did 
on Sunday, and they were 12th and 15th. So that could. Daniel Ricardo started fifth and had a nightmare uh, race after a great run the week before. And and then at its kind of chalk, uh, the Alphas, the Haas, or Haas, as they say in England, and uh, and Williams are all back there. And that's basically their own little battle. Um, the Red Bull pressure that Alexander Albon is on, I think, is unfair. Um, it was unfair to Kvyat, it was unfair to Gasly, and it's also unfair to Albon. Um, I've always been of the uh, the belief that they can only really make one good car. Yes, you could go back to the times of when Vettel and Weber were there, but you knew who was the number one driver there when that was a partnership. You, you knew who was the number two driver there. Um, and, and Weber decided he was sick of it, and he went and won a world championship as a sports car driver. And then Daniel Ricciardo and went out and beat Sebastian Vettel's ass uh, in 14, which led to Vettel going and taking that Ferrari deal, in part because Fernando Alonso doesn't generally make the best decisions uh, in terms of where he should be going. Uh, but we will see. I guess we'll see what happens this this few weeks that he's at Indy. Uh, he's back with McLaren and uh, with Craig Hampson, the the great engineer there, which is something we'll talk about on the next episode of the GSP. It'll be an Indianapolis 500 related episode, which will be the first of three that we're going to do specifically on the race. Uh, we'll ask Spencer Neff, formerly of OpenWheels.com, like I am myself, and we'll also talk about the roundup and any uh, anything else that we didn't go into uh, tonight. Uh the next piece uh, we'll go into is uh, previewing the Spanish Grand Prix. Before we get into kind of the silly season aspect and let George on his way, uh, whatever else we can come up with, I think, or actually, you know, before we'll scratch that, we'll get into F2, we'll get into F3. Uh, we had uh, an American driver, we have an American driver in Formula 3, championship right now and uh dalton Sargent or logan Sargent, it's his brother i, I always mix them up it, it's convenient uh they he went and won uh at silverstone got another poll for prema one of the better teams out there in the formula three championship and uh i i guess I, I'll, I'll throw to you george um we, you know, Amer there hasn't been an American since uh, Scott Speed, or I mean, I mean, it was Alexander Rossi, uh, limited uh, few races he ran for uh, whatever Marussia, whatever they were called by that point. Um, but uh, before that, it was Scott Speed who got ran out of the Red Bull hellhole. Um, Sargent is probably the best. Uh, best prospect that has existed for America in terms of making it to Formula One. Uh, what do you look at in terms of him and, and other guys that you see both in Formula Two and Formula Three that could um, eventually make that move up as we kind of get into the silly season? 
Well, Sergeant obviously has the advantage of um, being an American and having he will have some backing, obviously. Um, so it's it's good to see, and it's good to see him at top of the championship for the moment after despite his retirement in the last race. Um, and as we see in F2 as well, if you make the jump up from F3 to F2, you can you can still do really well. I mean, obviously Lungard and Schwartzman, they're second and third in the championship up there. They were in F3 last year, if I'm not mistaken. So it's good to see that, and it'd be great for somebody like Haas. It'd be a great opportunity, and I'd just like to see him in the competitive car because, like, like you said, like Alexander Rossi was the last American to be in F1, and he had no chance of really doing anything in that manner. Before that, it was Scott Speed, and he didn't have a huge amount of chance in that Toro Rosso either. To be fair, he wasn't particularly great, to be honest. That too, but it's weird. Like, obviously, we've got we've got a Miami race coming up in America. We've got Cota. We need an American driver. We've got an American team, so we need an American driver in there. So that's that's something that we need, I think. Um, even speaking as a non-American, like I, I do want to see that. I do want to see that variety in there. Uh, obviously, he's got to earn it like everybody else. He's got to hopefully go up to F2 next season and do well. Um, and hopefully, we'll see that happen. And hopefully, someone like Hass will pick him up. Um, I don't believe he's associated with any um, uh, academy, is he, um, in F1? No. Well, he's hopefully, he'll get agent. picked up for that. Yeah, if someone's bound to pick him up. I mean, it'd be a great uh, one for Josh, Hatt, obviously. Um, oh. oh, yeah, they need they need that in the worst way. If if Haas is actually going to stick around, I've mm, I've dealt a as a as a fan of of his venture here, and as a fan of the guy who's the front end of the ownership of the NASCAR team that he's a part of, um, bailing out Gene Haas. Um, the reality is it's a case of how much does Gene put in and stay around. And you have Gunther Steiner, who's a good old Euro, who doesn't believe Americans belong. He said that years ago, which is probably why he keeps Roman Grosjean in one of the cars, because he doesn't have a very good eye for talent if he thinks Roman Grosjean should be in a car for as long as he's been in when he crashes into anything and everything. I lo- that's my favorite. One of my favorite things is that clip. They there's like the Formula One clip, and they made it with like cartoons. And he goes and crashes into it. Was like he was he crashed into a rock, which is his, the crash at Baku, and he crashes into a rock. And then whoever goes and gets on the radio, and they say it's Ericsson, and Ericsson's like a hundred feet away in another boat fishing. That's that's really and it's it's like a microcosm of their careers because. Because Roman Grosjean is going nowhere, and Marcus Ericsson might go and win the Indy 500 in a couple of weeks. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But getting, I digress off of that. We go to you, Josh. I mean, I know we've been looking at Sargent. We've been looking at um, his results. I've been, we've been talking about it in the roundup. We've been talking about it, and it's cool to have an American driver that has a chance, you know, and. Um, do you think that it, it, is is it something like talk about what George said? Is it that uh, you you look at Dalton or Logan Sargent? I keep on oh god, they're freaking. I'm gonna call him Dalton Sargent until I freaking knock myself in the head. Logan Sargent gets signed by Haas because they need to get an American in that car, and they did have an American in that car. Uh, a certain uh, real sharp, uh, sharp as a knife character who now currently drives in the 18 car in the IndyCar series, but 
he definitely wasn't as good of a representative as Sargent is. Um, how do you look at Logan Sargent in terms of his potential as somebody that Haas should sign for the future? Oh, I, I definitely think that uh, they should sign Logan Sargent. And, you know, you talk about just Haas needing an American guy and Formula One needing an American guy. Well, another uh, thing you have to consider is um, Liberty Media, you know, owns Formula One and you know they're an American company, so it'd be good marketing potential um, just for them to have an American guy in the series and try to reach out to more American stateside and promote Formula One. Now that there's an American driver who's you know could be in the series um, in the near future, um, so that's you know that's something you have to consider um, um, for Americans to get behind and and promote. You know, especially um, somebody like him, he's very talented. And um, so far, you know, in F3, um, you know, he's done done very well. And I, I think, you know, in the future, I think he'll be somebody to watch. And I think definitely uh, Haas should try to sign him on. Um, and if, if not, like, it'd be a missed opportunity for them. But I would love to see him in Formula One um, if that's what ends up happening. Yeah, it's it's something like that's a great point. You talk about Liberty Media, you know, George, you brought it up in terms of um, the viability trying to have Coda. It's a question whether Coda is going to be able to hold up through um, COVID, uh, the Miami race. Um, my what is it like my my cousin's husband? He's from that area and he's a Miami Dolphins fan, and there's plenty of idiots down in Florida that complain, that are going to complain about them running a racetrack, running a race around the Miami Dolphins Hard Rock Stadium, but they didn't care about, you know, having the Super Bowl there uh, a few months ago, and hundreds of thousands of people were there. It's It, it shows the logic uh, that... It's something that you have to fight. I mean, they do need to have another race. I feel like you know, there's videos, you know, you have, uh, um, I'm forgetting the guy on uh, YouTube, uh, Aiden Millward, he was going and running a, um, a current Grand Prix car at some of these old circuits, and he ran Road America, and I think that would be an amazing place you could have you could have uh, social distancing and you could have the whole bit and you could have an amazing race there they could have an amazing race at Watkins Glen I don't care if they don't have that much runoff area they run at street courses they don't have runoff areas there they could run at Ro- or Watkins Glen they could run the old they can run the full circuit Tony Stewart took Lewis Hamilton's world championship winning car around around Watkins Glen years ago they can run these cars there too um, it's a case of whether Liberty wants to put the money into it because NASCAR isn't going to put the money in Watkins Glen. Road America is a private track. It's one of the most amazing tracks on earth. Um, they run it so well. They've had money, many races so far this since post-COVID. It's another opportunity. Worst case of COVID um, kills um, CODA. Uh, there are other options, and that's something Liberty Media has to really take into consideration. When you consider you have you you have the kind of talent like Logan Sargent, you also have Cameron Doss, who's also in Formula Three, not having as good of a year, obviously struggling, but he's there. Uh, so two Americans in Formula Three. Um, 
I guess we'll get into the preview here for the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, we, if it's the temperatures, ambience are higher. It's a high, medium to high wear track. Uh, probably a one-stop strategy is going to be there because it's only one race. Uh, so if it's a one-stop strategy, it could really play into the hands of teams and cars that can make the tires last, which as we see right now is the Red Bull and Charles Leclerc and the Ferrari. So Josh, I'll go to you. I mean, obviously I think Mercedes will be able to do what they've been doing all year. They'll be able to, to get the pole, but when it comes to Sunday, is it really, does it really matter what they do on Saturday with the pole or are we going to see um, Max Verstappen or maybe, you know, hell freezes over Charles Leclerc or somebody else, maybe a tracing point, go and make something happen uh, on Sunday at the start of that uh, Spanish Grand Prix? Yeah, definitely with the tire wear um, probably being another factor um, at this circuit at Catalonia. Um I think Mercedes, yeah, they'll definitely show a lot of pace during, you know, qualifying, during um, practice and, and all of that. But then when it comes to Sunday, you have to wonder what their tra- uh, tire strategy is going to be if they're going to race or have a little bit more of a conservative pace to take care of the tires and make sure that their tires last until the end of the race and make sure they don't have enough or, or have a lot of uh, blistering on their tires. Um you have to wonder if they're going to take that kind of strategy or if they're going to proceed as normal and just go out and try to, um, you know, extend Lewis Hamilton's points lead and um, keep their their title um, on the, you know, on the um, pace that it looks like it could be going on. But, you know, if, if that doesn't end up being the case, then that's another opportunity for somebody like Max Verstappen, like we saw uh, this past week to take another victory or score another podium. Um, I have to think that, you know, we will probably see Charles Leclerc again. He'll carry Ferrari like he has been. And, and I think it's going to be possible to see him possibly, maybe he'll steal a podium or he'll get, you know, something like a fourth or a fifth place finish is definitely possible. Um, and you know, something I, I thought about is like, if you go back to, um, 2016, you know, when Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg, you know, they took each other out early on in the race. You know, you have to wonder if something like that would happen, like if if um, Mercedes uh, makes a mistake like that. And then if that happens, then that brings the championship uh, back wide open um, because, you know, he only has a 30-point lead going into this race. And, you know, if he doesn't score any points, then, um, you know, Max Verstappen, if he's able to take advantage of the opportunity, would basically be um, – within like five points or so of, um, you know, that point lead. So it's still, still not over yet. And, and, um, definitely, uh, Mercedes is going to have to make sure that they can last this race without any, uh, tire issues or, or any other kinds of problems like that. But it'll be interesting to see how they approach, uh, the, the tire strategy and how other teams are going to be able to try to take advantage of that, knowing, uh, Mercedes problems that could happen. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And George, you mentioned that um, in the last uh, last point we were talking about 
Silverstone. Um, what do you see? I mean, you talked about it earlier today because you posted your show um, earlier, uh, episode 49 of your show. So we're way behind. Uh, we have to do some catching up there. But um, what did you say or what were you taking away uh, for um, what you look for this weekend? Is Lewis Hamilton uh, going to be all right? Is it going to be Max Verstappen at the track where he won his first Grand Prix? What do we see at uh, Catalonia, a place known for um, a general lack of overtaking amongst other um, mediocrities that exist at uh, Circuit de Catalonia? I think overall that Lewis Hamilton will be all right. I mean, this is not a track that I've that I really think of being a Lewis Hamilton track, but he has won here the last three years <laughs> so so he, he is good round here and obviously as we saw in the last race uh the qualifying speeds of the Mercedes is so far ahead of everybody else and I think it was about a second to third place Hulkenberg between the two Mercedes and them um so I think I think I think they'll be all right because I expect Mercedes to lock out the front row I think Hamilton will probably still win or at least one of the Mercedes will still win uh, it's that second place that could be awkward. If you get a, if there's a crash, if there's a safety car, if there's a virtual safety car, if the tires start to go off, because the front left around Catalonia takes a big pounding. Not on the same level as Silverstone, but it still does, and it's meant to be hot, meant to be hotter than it what what it was in the UK. So, I think I think they'll be all right, Mercedes, but Max Verstappen in the Red Bull or Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari trying one less stop. They could really throw a spanner in the works, and you never know. Like you say, the tracing point as well. Especially, I think if Sergio Perez is in the car, he is incredibly good at saving tires. He is, he's. I, I think he's the best one on the grid for that. So you never know. If he's back and racing in the car, you could. You can't really rule him out for a podium either. But I think Mercedes are definitely the strong favourites. I just expect into this one. Yeah, for for me, I'll. I mean, yeah, it's not one of Lewis's better tracks. Uh, I mean, when you consider all the tracks that are on this this schedule and how many racetracks that he's won multiple races, of course, Silverstone is up there with Hungary and Montreal and Coda. But so Catalonia has definitely not been one of his better tracks. Uh, it, it's kind of an opportunity for both Botas and Verstappen to take advantage, but you consider he's the best guy there. He's the best guy. If he can go and put it together on Saturday, put the lap down in Q3, he kind of dictates everything that goes on. He can go and, and dictate pace. He can also go and manage uh, strategy. And uh, based on that, we will see um, what he does and what everybody does here, uh, Spanish Grand Prix, and we will uh, talk about it on uh, the GSP as well here next week. Uh, we'll go quickly um, just before you, we, we let you go, George. Um, some of your thoughts on um, silly season, what's left? We have I think Alfa Romeo, I think more than likely, is going to be replacing one driver. It's a possibility they may be switching both drivers. Haas is also in the same boat. I think that they're um, possibly going to replace one, uh, maybe two. Um, and then you mentioned it earlier, both you guys mentioned it earlier about Red Bull and the pressure. 
um, you know, we have uh, Chaco Perez, we have Nico Hulkenberg, amongst others. What do you see? Um, because I know we're going to have you on here um, for other episodes, and I'll be on. We'll be on your show. But um, what do you see right now? Crystal ball. I mean, we're not mentioning the fact that Sebastian Vettel is going to Tracing Point. I think that's kind of done. But you know, obviously, you mentioned it. We have. It's not a complete done deal, but. What do you look at in terms of is there anybody from F2 that can make the move up right near right now uh, in, in run in 2021? There's definitely some guys in F2, 100%, who can run in 2021. Um, a guy that I'm going to start with a guy that's not really been um, mentioned much, um, Yuki Sonoda um, in F2, Japanese driver. He's got Red Bull back in. And I imagine that Honda will really want a Japanese driver in AlphaTauri. And I think, unfortunately, I, I think this is really unfair on the guy, but I think, unfortunately, that means that Daniel Kvyat will be leaving the sport if he does join. Because Kvyat, he's not old by any stretch, but he's probably not going to improve a huge amount. Sonoda's got a massive amount of potential, and he's really impressed me the way that he's driving. So I think he could well be in the Alpha Tauri. Alongside, probably, Pierre Gasly, I think he's probably... I think he's probably going to stay there. I think if Albon and Gazi keep swapping between Red Bull and AlphaTech, it's a bit farcical and it's just not going to help them or the teams. Um, so I think Albon will stay there. Hamilton isn't confirmed for Mercedes next year, but obviously he will be racing there. There's no doubt about that. Um, looking elsewhere, I, I think Perez will... He's going to go to Alfa Romeo or... Has. I've seen some people saying that he might go to Renault as a test driver, which possibly, but at the same time, I don't I don't see that either. I think he's going to want to stay in the race seat. So if I had to bet, I'd probably say he's going to go to Haas to replace Roman Grosjean, who, like you've mentioned on this episode, he's, he's, he's I don't even know how he's making a living in F1 right now, all the crashes he has and everything and the general lack of pace. I think they'll probably keep Magnussen alongside him. So Magnussen and uh, Perez at Haas. Uh, and then Alfa Romeo, I think Kimi's going to leave the sport. I love Kimi Raikkonen. He's a fantastic driver. He's still good enough. He's still outperforming Giovinazzi in my eyes most weekends. So, but I don't think he's going to want to keep that, keeping that car and just run around at, in 15th place at best. And alongside him, on current form, you'd give it to Schwarzman. He's a Ferrari young driver. But another young Ferrari driver is Mick Schumacher. And obviously Schumacher's got the huge amount of sponsor potential. It's a massive marketing opportunity for Alfa Romeo, a team that's struggling. So I think Mick Schumacher will stay, uh, will go into F, uh, F1 alongside Giovinazzi. They could replace Giovinazzi, of course, but two two rookies in the team, it's a recipe for disaster, really. So I expect him to keep Giovinazzi for another year. Yeah, I, I mean... I'm not really high on Giovinazzi, what he's done over a year and whatever, however many races, doesn't tell me that he's ready, not only for Ferrari, to ready to be something of great significance. Um, you could go and say it's because of the car, it could, it could be any number of things, but for the hype that he had and the kind of potential that he showed prior to this step up, you would think Italian guy, Ferrari, there would be a lot more juice there. Hasn't happened. Uh, it's kind of like how Repsol 
with with motorcycles and they just pushed the crap out of Spanish riders and then they backed into freaking Mark Marquez. It's it to me that's supposed to be the same kind of deal, but hey, it is what it is. Josh, um I'll throw it to you this way. There we look at the veteran side. I mean, uh George talked about the young guns. Um, but I look at Nico Hulkenberg, I look at Checo Perez. Um where where do those two guys stand? Because Nico Hulkenberg's been uh, he, he, the reality is he he ran he ran um, in uh, uh, he ran the 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 Porsche and won Le Mans um, and showed how great of a talent he is and he's been driving uh, so far in the uh, tracing point and he's done all right. Didn't get a chance the first race, got a chance last week. We don't know what he's going to do this week. He's capable. He could still drive in Formula One. So can Checo Perez. Uh, but neither of them right now theoretically have a ride. So where do those two guys stand in in what you look at in terms of what's available, um, considering Red Bull has sort of kind of might have something going on? And of course, you consider um, Alpha and uh, uh, Haas. Yeah, I think you know if Nico Hulkenberg. If however long he ends up being in in the uh, Racing Point car, um, maybe he parlays that into an opportunity with that team. We'll see if that ends up being the case. And uh, Perez, you know, um, obviously he's the incumbent driver, so they could always just go back to him if they decide to do that. So you could either place one of them in, into the um, the pink Mercedes, but if neither of them uh, end up being there, I mean, obviously Hulkenberg's a very talented driver. Um, you know, if he goes to Haas, that would be a massive upgrade, I think, um, over Roman Grosjean. Um, you know, or or if he ends up going to Alfa Romeo to replace uh, Kimi Raikkonen, that would help the team there as well. Um, I mean, I think the same goes for Sergio Perez. Um, really, any any of those teams he, he could probably fit into very well. But you know, I think it it's all very very uh, up in the air of what what ends up actually happening. Um, and you know, I think Red Bull. I, th- I think it would be wise for Red Bull to stick with Alex Albon next year, uh, regardless of his performance. But I mean, I think he at least deserves two years in the main Red Bull car, and they'll have to give him the best chance. Um, and, you know, going back to, like, the uh, Alpha Tori team, like, I think Kvyat's probably on his last legs there. Um, I don't, you know, I don't think he's very talented overall. Um, and, I, you know, I don't think he has a lot of pace and able to keep his car um, clean. So I think he'll get replaced by one of the junior Formula 1 or you know German junior um, Red Bull drivers um, like uh, what George said, but uh, I think you'll see you'll probably see something like that happen, and um, it's going to be it's going to be a very interesting just to see what ends up happening in some of these uh, mid tier teams of how they decide to uh, fill out their rosters for next year. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be. Um we're going to find out it's going to take time. I mean, we're early. We haven't even gotten to summer break yet. Uh, the, 
And so I, I think we're going to find out a lot more what the grid's going to look like post uh, summer break, uh, you know, probably around the whatever 70, whatever they're going to call that thousand race Grand Prix or whatever the heck they're going to call the race of Mugello, um, where Ferrari's not even going to have both cars in the top 10, probably. Um, that that'll be something but um they, they, i think we'll kind of have an idea by then what this grid's gonna look like the f2 championships very competitive this year uh, especially at the front definitely f3 is really uh good um television you know we don't have indie lights on our side here in the u.s uh but F3 definitely can fill that void if you're able, if you have the F1 uh, the track pass, or I forget what they call it over here. If you have the the their app, you could go and watch F2, F3. You can watch every session. F1 TV, there you go. And uh, Sargent, uh, you have Das, you have a bunch of other guys. Um, you could really get a lot of great racing. And it was really close racing, too, um, for sure. And we'll find out about what goes on with Silly Season. And uh, we'll look at the Spanish Grand Prix and all the other Grand Prix. And hopefully, uh, George will be able to have you on. And uh, we'll also be able to be on your your show, the F1 Grid Talk podcast been out a while uh, you have a cast of thousands on there that uh is able to contribute so you're a very uh important person in terms of formula one and um talking about this great sport so thank you so much for staying up uh dealing with all the conditions that you're dealing with out there conditions are really tough out there i can't do connor moore i can't do a connor moore doing a tiger woods impression um, talking about how conditions are really tough, but um, thanks George for coming on. Uh, hope to be hope both will both of us will be able to be on your show here soon, and um, hopefully we'll be able to keep on doing this here on the GSP and on the F1 Grid Talk podcast. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, despite the uh, conditions here, really hot, really humid, had thunderstorms and everything. Hopefully, it's not um, hopefully it's not wrecked the recording too much. But uh, <laughs> there you go. No, it definitely didn't. It wasn't as bad as last week. You're good to go. And all right, I'll take that. And um, hopefully, uh, hopefully Sunday, maybe uh, I'll be able to show my ugly mug, and you can go and see it, and then go and mute my face or however you block that crap on um, Zoom. Uh, on your show so f1 grid talk podcast uh george Housen, the host of that show and uh he's very knowledgeable uh, it's great to talk formula one in general talk racing and i'm glad that you came on man and um sleep well and we'll be talking uh during the week hopefully we'll be able to connect and uh do a little cross cross promotion deal during the Spanish Grand Prix, whether it's during qualifying, maybe probably we can go and hit qualifying. Cause I know you'll have people for the race and, um, 
we'll see what happens. But thank you so much, man, for coming on. I know it was uh, uh, we were working on it, and uh, we probably should promote the app that both of us connected on, but I'm forgetting what it is. And but I have a guest waiting here, and I don't want to make him wait any longer. <laughs> so, no, no, that's... <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's fair. So, you too can me compliments as well. It really does mean a lot. And uh, yeah, be sure to check out our show as well. It's uh, on the on the F1 Chronicles website, f1chronicle.com. All right, man. Thank you so much, George. Uh, F1 Chronicle, F1 Grid Talk podcast. They'll be on this weekend uh, covering the Spanish Grand Prix, and both on Saturday after qualifying and uh, Sunday post race, and then they'll also have another episode leading in there'll be episodes during the summer break um and hopefully both uh josh and myself will be able to come on talk about f1 and uh maybe talk some classic stuff because i could talk about f1 going back way back (laughs) before i was born so um thank you man all right thank you see you later cheers for having us on bye yep All right, so um, we will uh, transition into um, the second part of our show. Uh, apologize for the delay there. Um, we're going to have the, the gentleman who finished 14th in the uh, Truck Series race at uh, Michigan International Speedway, uh, Dawson Cram on the program on the GA uh, tonight. Uh, Adosh, I, I guess I'll throw to you first. Um, what do you take away from the truck series race? What you saw with uh, Zane Smith getting his first career win over Christian Eckes on uh, Sunday, or I mean Friday after evening at uh, Michigan. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely an interesting race there, but um, there's a you know obviously a lot of cautions which I think we'll get into, um, and you know it was almost half the race under caution, which really is ridiculous. But you know there's a interesting finish there at the end. You know we saw uh, you know a lot of blocking there, and it caused caused an accident. Um, you know at the end of that race, and then Zane Smith was able to get in. Uh, you know, his first victory on a basically a, a last lap pass there at the end of that race and and win. Um, but then you know we saw uh, Grant Infringer and Johnny Sauter uh, battle for the lead at the end, and then Sauter just got a little loose um, off of turn two and then spun out and you know lost his opportunity to win that race. And but then Grant Infringer didn't win as well as um, as I mentioned. He, um, tried to throw a block and ended up wrecking himself, but it was an interesting race. Um, with all that said, um, and now Zane Smith is going to have an opportunity to uh, fight for the championship here, um, going into the championship playoffs and all of that. Um, and he's definitely a talented driver himself, uh, and we'll see how it plays out for him going forward. Um, but it, overall, is a um, very, I'd say, very controversial in some ways, but also, um, you know, it, was, it seemed like it was um, entertaining uh, f- for the truck series. Yeah, it was definitely a carnage fest. A uh, lot of cautions, 
the Grand Enfinger Schumacher block that he threw on that last restart was definitely ill-advised. Uh, cost a couple guys a chance at victory there. Um, the fact that Zane Smith goes, I mean, he's a guy who's coming. Yeah, they say he doesn't come for money. He's been able to run in Arca and Canaan and all that. You know, it, you can go and dig in on him. There's stuff that will go and question what he's doing. Um, uh, just going and talk about the race and you see uh, where uh, where they're at. And uh, I mean, it, I, I look at what uh, for Zane Smith, he was able to go and get that win. He's been one of the more consistent drivers so far this year. Not as much as some of the other people, but says a lot about him and Bono Mannion, who, you know, you look back 15, 16 years ago, he, it was him and Martin Truex. And I think in a lot of ways, he's kind of going and building up another guy in uh, in Zane Smith. And uh, hopefully he'll be able to go and uh, and make something happen there. Um, um, we're just going and waiting on uh, our guest here. I will go and talk about briefly before um, we get Dawson back on here. Dawson Cram, we're going to go and do a little interview here. Uh, Road America, uh, Gumby got another win at uh, Road America. He's basically set himself with Chase Briscoe as um, the uh, two favorites um, uh, as the Xfinity Series uh, favorites right now. Um, What did you take away, Josh, about the Xfinity Series? Yeah, it was um, definitely a fun race to watch uh, throughout um, Road America. The, def- the the road course races really in the Xfinity Series, I think, are probably one of the more entertaining races in in uh, NASCAR to watch. And it's interesting to see how you know how the younger drivers navigate uh, turning right for the maybe for the first time or you know the first time on on this level. Uh, and that's it's always interesting to see how they tackle the road course. And you know, you saw a lot of action. Um, yeah, I thought AJ Almendinger might have a chance at the end, uh, but you know, he was just didn't quite have the pace uh, um, as Austin Cindric and wasn't able to keep up with him. But um, still was able to net a second place finish out of that. And obviously, Chase Rixo was able to um, get a third there and and able to keep up in the fight for the um, regular season championship for the Xfinity series and, and, you know, score um, more points and try to pad his bonus there. I mean, we'll see if that happens, you know, with a uh, 11 point deficit to Cindric so far, um, who's one win away from tying Briscoe in the standings, you know, and then guys like Andy Lally um, being the, classic road course ringer going out and getting a fifth place finish uh for that team which is a good race uh good finish for him and even saw guys like um matt's or myatt snyder 
and uh, Brandon Brown able to um, kind of, you know, they, they're not really contenders in the series, like on a regular basis, but they were able to um, lead laps and, and um, guys like Josh Balicki as well. Um, and even in the back half of the top 10, um, you know, the kind of the mid-tier regular, like kind of the mid-tier regular, like uh, Ryan Sieg, um, who hasn't been, um, you know, he, he's uh, always solid for like the uh, short track races and, and some of the um, more uh, wearing out, you know, like uh, tracks like um, Homestead. Uh, and Atlanta. he was able in Atlanta, and he was able to um, get a ninth place finish. So there, there's a lot of um, um, variance in the running order this week, which um, is I like to see. And you know, even guys that regulars that struggled, like Harrison Burton, um, struggled. He only got a 16th place finish, and he started third. Um, and even there's even guys that you know, like Mike Wallace was. Um, in a one-off race and he was able to get a good uh, finish for him. Um, and he was able to finish on the lead lap, uh, which was good, but it was um, a good race overall. Although you know, we talked about like NASCAR, not understanding how to uh, throw the, the local yellow, which, um, you know, on the road courses, we haven't seen that in probably like 15 years or so. And, and really since I started watching the sport is probably the last time that they ever, uh, use a local yellow, which is like back in 2002 and 2003, um, which they've got to learn how to use that again or reintroduce that. But of course they'll take more restarts instead of, um, interrupting the race, um, which, which I, I don't like, but it is what it is, I guess. And we'll have to see how, um, they decide to do that in the future. But, um, overall, it was, a, it was a good race for Road America, um, um, and definitely it'll be a, a good lead-up into Daytona this week with the road course there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're we're going to go and do a little more. I'll, uh, I'll throw my two cents in on um, Road America, but uh, we got our guest on. We got uh, Young Gun here in NASCAR. Somebody who's got a great story uh, that should be told on uh, multiple platforms. And we, I was uh, able to ask you a few questions yesterday on uh, Talking in Circles uh, with Clayton Caldwell. Spencer Cowan wasn't there, but um, I was able to talk to you yesterday. Dawson, thank you so much for coming on. Dawson Cram, the driver of the number 55 long motorsports uh chevy in the gander outdoor truck series um gander outdoor and rv truck series uh welcome to the grip strip podcast um how are you doing this evening i'm doing good philip how are you doing all right doing good uh you're on with uh my sasha fine uh my co-host uh, just want to go, and I, I guess it'll be similar. We'll start this way. Um, family lineage. There's a lot of history in motorsport. I mean, your your dad and his his brothers have been in this sport a long time. So, just go and and kind of give us a little background, not only of your family, because even your mother. I got to talk to your mom earlier. She's a hoot. Uh, you know, and her connections to racing too. 
the the fact of the matter is it, it just sounds like you were destined to be a race car driver uh, based on all that I've heard and all I've learned in a short time about you. Um, you know, just give a little background about where this has all come from to where now you're a, a, a truck series driver at 18 years old, living out the dream that all of us uh, young boys wanted to live out, you know, driving race cars at fast speeds. Yeah, so you could definitely say that my genetics are for racing because I'm a third generation driver on both sides of my family. Uh, my dad's dad raced. My mom's father raced. He owned a race team out in California that Ron Hornaday drove for. My dad was a cup-level crew chief. My uncle is a current cup crew chief. My other uncle worked with uh, Dale Jr. from, like, the AC Delco car all the way to Hendrick Motorsports in the 88. And uh, my uncle Buddy also worked with Bill Elliott and Ray Evernham a bunch. So I was kind of, like you said, I was kind of built for it and brought up for it just kind of the perfect storm for a race car driver to grow up yeah absolutely and i i I was curious and i was i was asking your mom earlier you know what you've had to deal with you know getting into this truck into this team with long motorsports limited you know limited resources limited sponsorship and we're going to get into the the helping hands which is how this whole thing started which is why i've become a mark um i'm a dawson cram mark i'm trying to figure out a way josh and i we're trying to figure out a way to get the gsp on the truck i I, if it means we'll, we'll buy a hand we'll figure out a way to buy a hand but we'll talk about that in a little bit how i'm just curious how do you how at 18 years old, how do you do this? How you go and get, you have no practice and you're literally on the green flag. You're going haul in the mail at Michigan. You know, you got other, you, you talk about the other cookie cutters that you've ran. You ran Kansas, you ran Kentucky. You've been eligible now. You talked about it last night where you, to be eligible to run one and a half mile up to one and a half mile racetracks in an Xfinity car. Um, but what is that sensation like to run at Michigan International Speedway, full tilt, no practice, in a truck, being all you've driven over your your life, you know, from go-karts, bandoleros, you know, all that to legends, but driving a truck full tilt at Michigan International Speedway at 180 miles an hour or whatever it was can you explain that feeling what it's like doing that first lap no practice and then what it was like as you went on during that race on friday night so with the no practice comes a lot more um nerves before the race because you don't really know what to expect going off into the first corner at speed um same as everybody else in front of you, you don't know what to expect out of their truck. They may have left something loose, something might break. So my plan has been at most of the races that I've been to this year to take the first stage and just kind of protect the truck and run defensively and kind of treat it like practice just to learn that track. Because every single track I've been to this year, I've never 
race before and going into it with no practice has been, you know, a big challenge for everybody in the field, but especially me being a rookie, it's been hard because I've made all my first mile and a half starts this year. And my first two mile start was at Michigan, which they kind of raced the same, but it was, it also has its differences. And I didn't really know exactly what to expect. So that part kind of peaks up the nerves at the start of the race. But, you know, once you fall on that rhythm, once you get comfortable, you just kind of start getting focused on the next truck ahead of you and you just keep going and working on it on pit road, giving feedback. And that's all you can do throughout the race is give feedback and just be watching ahead. Yeah, it's something when you're having to learn on the fly. And I guess that's part of the youth, you know, and and also lineage, having family and all the kind of people that have been supporting you in your career. Uh, uh, people that are big names, and we'll mention them in a moment. I, I, I noticed this part here. Um, uh, three laps. You ended up leading three laps there. Uh, was it? Uh, in, so that was that in in uh, stage, or were you uh, doing that under a green flag run over there in the last run? Uh, how did that whole thing work out? Where you were able to go basically from tailback, as Rusty would like to say, and go and get a couple laps led. Yeah, so I th- uh, I believe that we were running. I know that had to be a blast. We were running around 12th, and the all the leaders pitted in front of us, and we just kind of stayed out and led some laps just to hope for the TV time and get some recognition, and then you know pitted on the uh, one to go lap. So the whole strategy okay. was that, yeah, like, I, I, I mean. Hey, it, it, it's Dave Marcus did it. Other, other uh, guys that were in your spot in a in a sense because we look at, you know, you're you're young gun, but you know the money. Like I talked to your mom, your family has been involved in this sport for decades, but you're doing this, you're doing this the right way. You're building your way up, and it's something to say that you're able to kind of go and do it under uh, uh, the low. You're proving yourself with equipment that may not be able to be up there, but you're showing that it can be because of your talent. And you're also taking a situation where you may not have the best of it in terms of like tires and strategy and also making the most of the situation and playing it's smart. Um, I, I think one question I had is, you know, what is the, like the mechanical savvy? I mean, obviously your father, your they all work on these things, and you've had to work on your cars all the way up. I assume. Um, I get go and give us your trajectory to getting into the truck series and your hands-on ability as you've gone up to being a driver right now and other places that you're involved in, uh, especially in the Xfinity side. So 
yes, everything, you know, probably since I was eight years old, I've had to work on and help get to the track. And that was a big crucial part that my dad wanted me to understand was the way that the mechanics of the car work. So that if you understand the adjustments going into the car, you can better ask for an adjustment on the fly. And the main thing with working on the Xfinity car is learning, you know, they're kind of the same to a truck, but they're also not the same as a truck. And the garage flow is different. And just being involved inside the Xfinity series is very helpful for getting new connections like I, you know, I hadn't talked to Noah Gragson in a couple of years since I raced with him in Legend Cars, but since I've been going to these Xfinity races, I get to see him almost every weekend. And, you know, I went up and asked him how a truck races at Michigan so I could have some idea. And that's mainly what that part is about, is getting those connections just to keep gaining knowledge. Yeah, and that's... I. And it's a great point, you know, making those connections and being able to uh, understand and know what what you're supposed to expect, especially in the time we're in with no practice. And it was one thing I asked you last night, and it's something I also brought up with your mom. Um, I, I think it kind of plays in two ways. It plays into where you are right now, what kind of might have, depending on how things may land, um, based on your faith, uh, which is an, a beautiful thing, as somebody who also believes, um, and also because of your racing ability, which at the end of the day, I've loved motors, I've loved cars for literally my whole life. But I don't have the talent and skill that you have, and I look up to that and I respect that. And I, I guess what I'm asking is, when when you look at others' Godfather, you talk about one of the greatest NASCAR drivers ever in Ron Hornaday. You talk about Tim Fedor. Talk about people that have given you um at such a young age and 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 when you think about where the sport is where people are brought up at a young age but you have been a grinder you've had to really deal and you're still um what does it say to you for one to get the praise but also to be able to kind of just do your thing and show, hey, give me a shot. I belong. A little piece of this carrot. I'm going to go and bite it. I'm going to go make something happen. Um, and how much also has that, has your faith, has your your family and your faith played in your motorsports career? So for a driver in my position, every single opportunity that you get you just need to attack it full swing and be strategic on how you attack it because you obviously want to show your ability but you can't make a 35th place truck finish uh fifth so you have to understand you know the limitations of it and just be smart and hopefully you know attrition takes its course and you can 
gain spots and when it boils down to it then you know the last 20 laps or so you can race hard have something to work with and just be that's in my opinion how you can get the attention is through bringing stuff home and also being able to show that you can race hard but keeping it clean the most but um being in my position you just have to work at it over and over and just be you know on top of everything and show people how badly you want it and how hard you'll work for it and that you'll respect their equipment I wanted to ask, uh, before I let Josh go in, I, I've been kind of hogging this deal here. Um, uh, just, uh, let us about your, you, you have, let us know your sponsors, but also talk about the helping hands, um, deal that you have on your truck. You've been able to keep that thing immaculate over all the races you've ran so far, um, and God willing, you'll be able to keep on doing that uh, as you go on here in the rest of the season. But talk about where that started, why it started, and how it's helping only yourself, but helping uh, not only first responders, uh, our, our, the men and women that are taking care of us in this tough time but other people that are um, so inclined to go and uh, donate to you and some of the details that you need to go and donate for the helping hands. So before we jump into that, you said thank your sponsors. I'd like to thank Piranha Ultrasonic Cleaning. They, you know, they do all my cleaning on my suits and my helmets and then Circle Track Warehouse. They also you know, help me out with seats and uh, cool boxes and spindles, anything I need like that, and fluid on high performance. But um, the Helping Hands Tour is a chance for fans to get involved on the race truck with a handprint with their name or the name of a first responder, doctor, nurse, police officer, fireman, EMT, military personnel, you know, someone that they feel is giving back to the community and, you know, kind of putting their life on the line and just to show them respect, put their name instead of their name on there. But um, so the Helping Hands Tour is a collaboration with uh, Long Motorsports and American Mask Company, where American Mask Company gives us hand sanitizer bottles and mask face masks to donate in sizable portions to the hospital of our hand-picked choice in the area of the racetrack that weekend that we're racing at and the handprints are a $25 donation which you can find on lawnmower sports backslash or lawnmower sports backslash store and Basically, the process for that is you go to that link, click on the handprint sales, make a donation of it. it could be $25 for one hand, or you could buy, you know, four for 100 and choose a name, like I said, of a fireman, an EMT, a community service leader, 
or you could have your own personal name on the truck and then I will put a decal of a handprint on the truck myself and sign the name on it myself. You'll receive a picture of me signing the name, the name on the truck, and then you'll receive in the mail a hero card and a thank you note. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it started, I, I said this to your mom and Clayton also talked about it because we've all because we're I work with Clayton on the Talking in Circles podcast. It started with, I think, a Jayski uh, post where this came up with the Helping Hands tour. And then I started reading into it. And then I'm like, all right, you know, this, this sounds like something I really want to get behind. And then the more I learn, and I, and I said this to your mom earlier this afternoon, that the more I learn about you, man, it, it sounds a lot like, you know, Chase Briscoe's deal. You know, the family lineage going and running multiple generations, building this thing up and doing it the right way and 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 having not only your faith, but also talking about racing and just racing the right way and also taking, you know, giving giving credence and giving an opportunity for people to go and connect, go and reach out to those who may, they may not have any more, those who never got that just do. It's something that um, is a beautiful thing uh, and uh, totally appreciative of it. Um, Somebody as somebody who's been able to donate to you, and your cause uh, with Long Motorsports running that truck, um, it's a great, de- great thing, and um, I, and I and it and I hope uh, LongMotorsports1.com/store. You click on the Helping Hands tour, um, uh, the little link, and then they'll go and send you to go and put in the information uh, to go and talk about or go and put in to donate to the team donate to Dawson's ability to go and rise up in uh, this sport. Josh, do you have anything um, you want to ask Dawson Cram here, uh, truck series racer? Yeah, I just got a couple questions for you. Like, just like, I guess like from like a driver's perspective, like throughout the race, like, like how do you manage your car like throughout the you know course of the entire race and then like give us like an insight of like um what you go through like with the handling of the the uh the truck the race car like um do you feel like the um like how much like arrow push you get like whenever you're behind like another car in the corner um and then like does um like you know when you're behind like on a straight like um like how do you like manage like if you get like a draft like off of a car that's in front of you like how do you manage that like um throughout like the course of a a single lap during the race so the first part of that is understanding how the truck is going to react to the type of position you put it in inside the draft and that was a big thing i you know was kind of learning on the fly at michigan was the draft runs are so much bigger i had experienced aero tight and the loss of aero uh, side bite on the truck when a truck gets down on your door in the center of the corner. I'd already experienced that at, 
you know, a couple of mile and a half, but the draft runs at Michigan are, as you saw, are huge. And that's kind of how you race there is just off the draft runs and timing them perfectly to be able to clear them down into the corner. And they actually wrecked a good amount of trucks from the blocks that they threw trying to just stay inside the draft line. But you just kind of have to understand what the truck is going to react like when you put it into a position and be ready to counter for it. And then if you're going to draft or run someone down with a draft, just sometimes you have to stay in line and be tucked up onto them so that you don't just get out of line and immediately bog down. And now you're bogged down and three other trucks are coming with a run onto you on the top. So just strategically planning with the draft is how, it seemed the race played out there for me. Right. Um, so I guess like, is there like, like any given race, like, do you like have like a particular strategy that for your team? Like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't want you to give away too much, but like, you know, like, what do you, like, what do you guys like expect like to, um, happen throughout like a race and like, how does that like play into like what you expect the, um, for your like result, um, at the end? So we kind of go off of previous races at that track and also the race before, like for most of the races since the shutdown, there's been a caution within the first stage. So we kind of been planning our initial fuel mileage off of there being a caution in the middle of stage one. So that's kind of how our strategy has been playing around that. But also that could change like it did at, Kentucky there wasn't a caution in the first segment I believe right um I think yeah but uh what else I guess like with all the races that you get to have like um I guess like what's your expectation like um once I mean obviously you're running a limited slate of races but like with like what you what you have like what do you expect um or like, how do you manage your expectations with the limited amount of opportunities that you have right now? So I go into every race weekend just hoping to learn. I don't really focus on the finishes. The finishes are good and they're rewarding, and they make you just. It makes everybody excited when you get to finish, like we did at Michigan. But you also have to be realistic going into a race weekend and say, these are the tools I had to work with. They're not exactly the best there is in the game, but I know that one day I may get an opportunity in the best in the game, and I need to be prepared for that opportunity. So every single time I go to the racetrack, I just try to learn as much as I can, put myself into spots I haven't been in before just to keep you know, logging data in my brain on how things work because this bigger track racing is so much different from what I grew up with, I've just been having to relearn racing almost. And that's the main expectation for every race weekend is just to learn and bring the truck home clean. All right. Um, so I guess this is my, probably my last question, but is there like any like um, driver like in the series already or somebody that you looked up to that you like model like your driving style after? Um. I'd have to say that Brad Keselowski, I looked up to him for a really long time because he was always 
kind of a more aggressive driver, but not always too aggressive to where he was always tearing up cars on the weekends. But he always seemed to have a plan going into something to be aggressive. That's pretty cool. Uh, you right. say Brad Keselowski. I didn't. I didn't expect that one as a <laughs> Brad Keselowski guy. I, I I figured because you're 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 more patient. Your mom said that earlier. She said you're more of a patient. You go and and manage your stuff, and then you go and get do what you have to do. That doesn't really fit with how. Brad kind of has done things over his career, as you said. Um, that's uh, interesting to say the least. I kind of see uh, Chase Briscoe, and uh, hopefully, based on how things may be going for him, hopefully you'll be following that same kind of trajectory, mainly because your mom loves Fords, and maybe you can go and get in the 98 car. But that's just me. Um We'll try to do our thing here on the GSP to go and get you into that uh, 98 or into a good uh, ride, whatever we can do. But um, I, I had a, a in terms of the racing, uh, you know, having to come from the back, having to deal with that, you know, stage caution and all. When when you have the kind of carnage that was going on during a race, how are you? managing your stuff you know with the stages not really being that long it was a case of kind of maintaining so you keep on the lead lap and then at that point in the third stage you're trying to go and get yourself a finish how are you managing the people that you're kind of in the same boat with um, equipment wise but then also kind of looking at that long goal later on where you're getting that checkered flag trying to get the best finish you can get given where you're having to start uh generally in these races so the main thing racing around the people that i usually do is just hoping for that mutual respect of we you know we're both kind of in the same position and we both understand that you know we don't really have a truck to go run top 10 and there's really no sense in tearing something up to run, you know, 25th over 24th. And it kind of seems like there is that respect inside the truck series until, you know, the final segment, then everybody is just kind of jockeying for position a lot more. And especially when there's those late restarts, you know, things get pretty wild as we saw at Michigan stuff gets torn up. And I would also uh, look at, in terms of racing, I guess because we will cover all, we cover all the series here, and um, I'll just go into the top 10 results here in the uh, Henry Ford Health System 200 Friday night at, uh, Friday evening at uh, Michigan International Speedway. Zane Smith got his first win in the truck series Eckes second, Tanner Gray third, Ankrum fourth, Todd Gillen fifth, uh, Brent Moffat, Raphael Lassard, Derek Krause, Parker Kligerman, uh, and David Gravel in his truck series debut, uh, defending Knoxville Nationals champion, uh, supported by old Jeff Gordon, and 10th. Um, Dawson, uh, you finished 14th. You finished uh, just behind... Uh, Two of the uh, championship contenders there in Austin Hill, Ben Rhodes, 
Tate Fogelman, another young gun, uh, multi-generation racer himself. Um, like in terms of the racing, uh, you talked about the side force. You talked about uh, the sensations that you're having to learn basically on the fly. What is? Can you describe the difference between your your experiences within the truck at the the Martinsville's and Bristol's and going into the one mile tracks like Phoenix? versus going to a, a, a cookie cutter like Kansas, Kentucky, and now Michigan, what are some of the driving changes you have to do and some of the adjustments you have to make for stability, but then what is in the balance you have to have between stability and speed? So a place like Martinsville, you, re- you rely all on mechanical grip and grip in the tire. And it's just a completely different racing than somewhere like Michigan, where it's all aero grip, where you go off into the corner and you set the truck onto the air on the right side of the truck with the skew. In a Martinsville, you set it over onto the right rear tire. So they both have their limitations of grip, just it seems like the bigger trucks have more grip due to the downforce and the side force that you get from the air. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one thing that, uh, you know, maybe before, I guess, the Gen 4 cup car, um, I mean, I know your family's been in the sport a long time, when they had those, the, the, before the COT, they had those crazy, you know, I call them the lobster cars, because they look crazy, they didn't look anything like the real uh, vehicle. Um, and that's where you started talking about the side fours. You talked about the skew. It became a bigger thing in the COT with the skew. And that's a lot what the Gen 5 and sort of like aspects of the Gen 6 is what the truck is currently based off of. But for you, you came from dirt. You came from running different vehicles there and then transitioning to pavement. How does how does your experience on dirt and handling a race car with you know generally changeable conditions every lap transition into running something like this, which is somewhat limited horsepower, but a lot of downforce, a lot of side force, and having to be able to race against somebody side by side when you have a much more narrower um theoretical margin of error so the main thing that i've taken from dirt into this mile and a half type racing is searching around the track for grip like kyle larson was probably one of the greatest at it ever being able to look for grip and keep on top of how much it changed and that's kind of the dirt aspect is the track changes every single lap you got to find the grip every single lap and they have a lot of differences like you can turn a sprint car without the front tires on the ground that's never going to happen in a cup car but um i'd have to say that the main thing is you know throttle control and 
there's also a different kind of side bite in that that is it all kind of just feels the same but the main thing is just you know searching for the grip all right uh, i i wanted to get your takes here because we'll go and kind of before we let you go i know you're they probably don't want you to go and stay up too long here but um uh we're going we're going to go into the cup race we had there had two cup races at michigan saturday and sunday uh somebody that you're have connections to um was able to get two wins at uh michigan on saturday and sunday um kevin harvick got the wins both days uh, it was different both days in terms of how he got them uh tim feed was the person that uh, dawson has a close connection to uh but um you're as a fan and and as of how how you have to deal with the truck and how it is how do you see um how them the cup cars run relative to what you're dealing with in a truck isn't it is it similar or what do you see as differences that they have mine i guess horsepower wiser is but other than that what do you see as differences into how they have to race relative to what you have in a truck so they definitely rely on the draft about probably pretty equal with a truck they draft the same down the straightaways but they have they don't rely on the side force as much in the center of the corner as a truck does so they don't really get the air taken off of them as drastically as a truck also a truck is pretty top heavy and likes to roll over in the center of the corner so the cup cars are through the center of the corner a couple miles an hour faster same with an xfinity car yeah, and Xfinity car doesn't have as much spoiler on it on the back, and they don't have as much splitter, so they're kind of they have a little bit more speed, I think, um, entering. Uh, so, but yeah, it, it, it seems like uh, you know, I guess this 550 rules package, what they want the uh, people that are running NASCAR and the Cup Series, they kind of are trying to mirror the truck series in a lot of ways because of the ability to draft ability to make passes and stay relatively close, uh, for sure. Um, I guess, um, we'll, we'll end it here. Um, you know, talk about uh, before you are, um, before we let you go, Dawson, promote, uh, your sponsors, let us know how we can follow you and um we're gonna go and follow you back here on the gsp um and uh definitely send all the socials amongst uh your pr team so that we can all follow each other as you go and rise up and when do you look at as your next before you even do that when do you see your next race um in the truck series uh I'm hoping to be able to get to Gateway in the next couple of weeks and get on my first short track of the year. All right. Um, yeah, you can go and 
let me know or you could go and promote what are your socials give us your facebook uh, and your twitter and whatever else you're on so we can go follow you here and um also um anything else you want to promote as you are able to get out um so my handle on everything is at dawson cram on facebook twitter instagram and again that's at dawson cram and my sponsors would be american mask company Fluidon high performance circle track warehouse and <coughs> sorry i had to sneeze and piranha electronic cleaning thank you sir all right um i want to thank you man for uh coming on the gsp um i i am a fan um i want to go and invest more in in your career because i believe in you i was telling that to your mom earlier um your your story where you've come from what you've done what you're doing right now uh in in a vehicle and in a, in a doing it with lower funds uh, says a lot about you and um, your faith also. It, it all comes together. And um, I, I hope and uh, pray that you'll be able to get that funding and you'll be able to keep on moving on up, making those connections, doing what you can, whether it's with uh, staying where you are for a full time. Uh, in the truck series, as you mentioned last night, or, you know, moving up Xfinity, whether it's with uh, MBM, JD Motorsports. Um, I, all all I'll, I'll say is um, God bless, good luck, and I hope to see you running more uh, because that 55 truck, the Helping Hands Tour, uh, means a lot in this uh, tough time that we're dealing with here in COVID-19 and the way you're doing things and the way your team's doing things, your family, uh, it, it's what this sport was built on. Um, thank you so much, Dawson, for your time. And hopefully we can have you and we can have other members of your family on as we go along here on the Grip Strip Podcast. Well, thank you, sir, for the kind words and the praise and, uh, and the prayers. And thank you also, Josh, for having me on. And thank you, Philip. And hopefully we can get a sponsor on board here and keep it rolling. Thank you, guys. All right, man. Um, thank you again. And open invite to you uh, if you ever want to keep on coming on here on the GSP. Uh, Dawson Cram, driver, Long Motorsports, number 55 in the gander outdoors and rv truck series 14th place finish at michigan uh starting basically tailback and uh next race hopefully uh helping hands tour long motorsports one.com slash store you go and click on the helping hands it'll send you to a link to go uh to a paypal link where you'll go and put in your information there. You'll put in your donation and you'll be able to get a hit print on uh, the 55 trucks. So 
it's back to uh, the usual. Uh, we're going to go and hit up the uh, Cup and Xfinity races here. Um, you, we talked about the Xfinity series, uh, Josh, you did. Uh, basically, I'll keep it short. There was 8,000 cautions in a race that's 45 laps. The fact they don't know how to run local cautions made that race even longer. The thunder lightning rule also made that race become the 24 hours of road America. Um, it was a cluster, but in the end, Gumby won. Cindric, uh, or I mean, Cindric's been able to be on a run. Uh, Briscoe is still consistent, uber consistent, but he isn't as fast and he hasn't been as good as he was pre um, Richard Boswell's suspension, really. Uh, Zippy got back on the box, was able to push Chase to him a couple of wins. And, but since then, it hasn't been the same. Uh, I will see what happens at the schedule. Who knows what NASCAR is going to do. They probably should run a cup race there, but because they don't know how to run local yellows, it's probably going to be a cluster the way every Xfinity race is. Um, it'd be good for trucks to run there, uh, too, uh, cause they need multiple road courses and add more races for a relative value, but we will see, um, walking or Watkins Glen as well, which is where they should be running, uh, this weekend. Uh, but they aren't, um, in terms of the cup races, Kevin Harvick won both of them. Denny Hamlin uh, stood out in the second race. The Toyotas, the Joe Gibbs Toyotas had a relatively solid weekend. Um, What did you take away, Josh, in terms of both of the races uh, at Michigan International Speedway for the uh, Cup Series? Yeah, they're both uh, pretty interesting races uh, for Michigan with uh, this package. I mean, Saturday, I felt like it was a little bit better race than on Sunday. But, you know, we saw um, a little bit of um, action at the end with uh, Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick getting um, almost making contact at the very end of that race. But um, then they ended up getting uh, almost together. And then Kyle Busch wasn't able to... um, uh, hold on to it and he almost got into the wall and then Kevin Harvick took the lead and then eventually ended up winning the race. I mean, even on Saturday, you saw uh, Chase Elliott uh, lead for a bit towards the very end of that race, but then um, he wasn't able to hold it um, on that race. And then, you know, on Sunday, um, we, we thought we thought maybe Ryan Blaney would have a shot there at the end. Um, then Brad Keselowski just tried a little bit too hard off a of turn two, similar to what Johnny Souter did on Friday, and and then ended up taking themselves out, although Ryan Blaney probably would have wrecked himself e- either way or um, finished poorly like he usually does every week. Um, you know, Then Eric Amarola kind of accidentally got into the uh, – into the lead after one of the cautions and um, then he was able to kind of stretch it out until the end. Uh, although he ended up finishing 16th, um, which is uh, kind of disappointed to uh, uh, see after how he kind of ran there towards the end. Um, but sometimes that's how it happens. And then um, Martin Truex might've had a shot on, on Saturday and uh, then on Sunday again, like um, you thought maybe he would have, 
uh, had a chance there, and he finished uh, third on both days. And I thought maybe he would have been able to make it run there at um, at the end of those races if he uh, would have had a little bit more time. But that's just how it is sometimes. Um, and you know, Danny Hamlin uh, was, you know, we thought maybe he might make a run there at the end. Um, he was able to kind of hang with uh, uh, Kevin Harvick, and he was actually able to close the gap there after the last restart on Sunday. And um, you know, he was able to use the high line and kind of use that grip strip uh, um, PJ1 to kind of make up time. And then there was a couple of laps where he used the bottom line, and they were kind of both altering lines, um, trying to outsmart each other. And then at the very end, it looked like I thought maybe Hamlin would be able to close the gap, but then he didn't, um, even though he was able to get a big draft off the front straightaway. And But then Harvick was just able to take his line away there at um, a couple of the laps there towards the end. And then on the last lap, it, um, Hamlin was able to close back in, but um, ultimately he wasn't going to be um, passing him, um, which really in the Cup Series, I think if, um, if you're not able to get uh, within to the – rear quarter panel you're probably not going to be able to make a pass um anyways with uh, especially with how this package is uh but with all that said uh it was definitely a um interesting weekend uh for the cup series at michigan but i think now you have to just have to think about just how dominant kevin harvick really is this season i mean you might have given a tip of the hand to uh denny hamlin uh for some of these races um because it we thought like he had the most wins, but now Harvick has overtaken him. And uh, you just look at just how dominant he is. He's got 15 top fives and uh, 19 top tens for Kevin Harvick. And you know, out of only three races where he finished outside the top 10, just shows just how dominant he is. And haven't really seen that kind of performance in a long time. But of course, they'll probably get watered down because of the uh, playoff system. And the fact is, is he's going to have to. Uh, win the race if he was gonna have to make it to phoenix at the end which he probably will and then he's gonna have to win the race to um be able to say he had a really good season otherwise it's gonna um get overshadowed by whoever else wins that race if if that happens but all in all um i think you know we have to give a shout out to brad keselowski as um as he still maintains a second place standing in in, uh, the cup series um but i think in some weeks, it's going to be Hamlin or Harvick, and then other weeks, it's going to be uh, Keselowski and uh, and Harvick and Hamlin. But um, overall, I, th- I think it's just going to end up being a battle between Harvick and Hamlin for uh, the Cup Series title. When Yeah, when you look at this series, uh, there's very few people that, that really are in contention at this point all the, they make these playoff formats for all these series and the top three or whatever and you you basically have your whatever cut off but even then you could make an argument that that's too many in all three series um the cup series is kind of a basic situation in terms of the the Chevys and all those struggling Chevys, but on the top you have a bunch of Fords with the Harvick, Keselowski, Blaney, and then you have two Toyotas probably with Hamlin, Martin Truex, um, and you can't count out, you really can't count out Kyle Busch or Joey Logano, both champions, uh, uh, Kyle Busch, the defending 
series champion, had a good, relatively solid weekend at Michigan, had got Arrow loose uh, in on Saturday, lost position, still made made up for it in the end. Uh, Sunday got a top five. Um, but the, the, you talk about Kevin Harvick's consistency. I think he's averaging under a six-place finish right now through 22 races, which is elite Hall of Fame territory. I mean, frankly, 55 wins in a championship, Daytona, Coke 600, three brickyards, all. He's already in the Hall. He was in the Hall of Fame a while ago. But, you know, if he can close the deal, that that's the thing. The problem with this championship is you could have a great, we could say, 35 races, and you don't do well at Phoenix or wherever it is, like Homestead Forever. Now it's going to be Phoenix, and you're disappointed with the year. It It's fundamentally, I mean, they'll say it's more like a Super Bowl or a Grey Cup or whatever, MLS Cup, things where it's a one-game situation, it it fundamentally doesn't fit. Um, it hasn't worked in general. Uh, they've manipulated the points format since 2014, trying to have what happened in 2011. And 2011 happened organically. That's the difference. NASCAR doesn't know how to let things happen organically, and that's an unfortunate fact. Um, and I, I guess that's why we are where we are, uh, with the sport in general. Um, before, uh, we go here tonight, we had a lot going on here. We did formula one for first hour. We're doing NASCAR. Now we had, uh, George house and Dawson cram on, um, you know, we'll we'll go and talk about Daytona. We'll go and do picks tomorrow. But in terms of thinking about Daytona Road Course, um, minus the fact they're adding a random chicane before pit road, it's basically the same course that they run during the Rolex 24, but no practice. Um, what do you look for, Josh? No practice, cup cars, Xfinity, trucks, ARCA, all going to Daytona for the road course here this weekend. Um, what do you see for the kind of racing we're going to have uh, this weekend? Well, you have, you have to consider with you know no practice, and then also the fact that for the cup series that um, – and in the truck series, the this is the first uh, road course race that they have uh, this season because we didn't go to uh, Sonoma and we you know this race is replacing Watkins Glen on the schedule uh, due to COVID nineteen. Um, and I mean, I I feel like you'll probably like in terms of uh, racing, like you'll probably see more similar type to Watkins Glen or Road America, given the uh, long amount of straightaways um, and and maybe even similarity to uh, Charlotte Roval somewhat, um, you know, with the chicane on the backstretch. Um, so I, I think you'll probably see kind of like the, the hard charging uh, 
style rather than the finesse style that you'd see at like Sonoma um, or tracks like that. Uh, I mean, I think the players that you'll have are probably going to be similar to what you would see at Watkins Glen um, and may in, in general, the road courses. Um, I mean, I think, you know, you'll see the, probably the, you know, the big three now in the cup series, um, be a factor probably chase elliott will be a factor um as well um you know he's had a pretty strong uh resume on the road courses uh surprisingly but i think even even in the uh the cup series like it's definitely going to be a lot of crashing i think um and there there'll probably be a, a controversial result i would expect um just from somebody getting taken out and causing drama or um somebody like making a mistake or some kind um, or or um, getting screwed over by NASCAR uh, in some way, um, with especially with the uh, the last chicane there, um, there will probably be some troubles there, um, which I don't like by the way uh, that they put a chicane there, but I understand why they had to do it probably because uh, the fact um, that if they didn't have that there, that you would really be putting a a, a lot of ask on the brakes uh, uh, going into the first turn. Because um, they, these cars don't have the same kind of brakes that they do in IMSA or in the sports cars there. Uh, but, I mean, it's understandable that it, it does kind of uh, cheapen the challenge um, to a degree. But I understand why they had to do it. Um, but it, it'll be interesting across all the series. Uh, and I, I think it'll you're, you might end up seeing a surprise winner. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think... The the race on Sunday is definitely going to be one of the bigger wild cards that we've had in a long time. Uh, when you look at the relative talent across the board for road race racers within the Cup Series, there's a lot of guys that have won at least one. There are guys that have never won, but there are plenty of people who have won or multiple race wins on road courses. And when you consider a new circuit, um, you brought up Chase Elliott, Josh. I, that's the one guy I think of. You, he's a guy who's had a struggle here recently. Um, he's not running anywhere near as well as he was, whether pre-COVID or post-COVID. Uh, he needs to be able to get uh, some some momentum as we go on into the playoff if he wants to be able to make more than a couple of rounds and Daytona is a great place to go and get healthy a place where his father won two Daytona 500s old Clyde going and getting a win uh, would be good for Chevy and uh, in general uh, with that uh, we are going to end this episode of the Grip Strip Podcast. Uh, episode seven, 17 will include uh, the Indy 500, the first of three weeks of Indy 500 coverage from us on the Grip Strip Podcast. And we will also do the roundup and anything else we can fit in to the episode. Um, do you have uh, anything going out, Josh? Uh, social media? handles um anything else you want to promote i mean you know you can always follow me uh on twitter at uh, jp huffine and then you can also follow me on instagram at jp huffine um 
and you know you can always find me on iRacing if you want to race me there. Um, always happy to race if if it's possible. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, we have a good race weekend uh, here at Daytona. Yeah, I wanted to ask you how did your uh, ventures go on iRacing uh, this past week since you had some interesting. Uh, deals here recently with uh nascar's number one fan but i wanted to see how it went this week yeah yeah i mean this uh so last wednesday um there was another open with barstool and i i went on that and um we did like a a cross or a multi-class race which you can do on the hosted sessions on iRacing and they they decided to do the uh the legends cars which are you know very small and then the the um um, monster, not monster trucks, but the the off road trucks um, that iRacing has, and that was that was entertaining to watch because like you had to really maneuver your way through the trucks, who were obviously slower, and the Legends cars, which had quite a bit of speed, um, relatively speaking, and you had to you know it was it was a total wreck fest that you just had to really uh, maneuver your way through. And I mean, I grabbed the lead there for like one lap, and then like somebody was like. <laughs> spun out and then i i didn't see him go past him. yeah and then i got i got destroyed i mean there i think there was like a, a five lap sequence where the leader got taken out like every lap consecutively and then i was a part of that sequence and then like right after i um got got into it like i i had the lead for a moment but then i got passed and then they threw out the caution and reset everybody and then um um, I mean, I got my lap back and everything, and I thought I was gonna make a little run, and then I don't know, I got I got wrecked again, and then like I I think I got like pirouetted into the air or something like that, and and then ended up getting on the tow truck, and I um, had enough of that, but then um, and then we raced at a uh, um, Kentucky, the old Kentucky, which uh, not the repaved Kentucky, but. Um, the one prior to that on iRacing, which they still have, and we raced Pro Mazda on there. And, uh, I mean, that's like, that's basically like a um, pack race the whole way through. They they only reach like 140 miles an hour in top gear, which is like fifth or sixth gear. And, and you're just drafting the whole way through. And, and you're basically, it's basically like a who's who could win and um, got wrecked on that one. And then we finished out on Charlotte with uh, another multi-class race with, uh, um, I think it was like a spec racer or something. It was an open wheel, open window car, and and then the Cadillac CTS race car, which that was the one I picked. And then, um, I mean, it, it was just a wreck fest throughout all the races. But I mean, you know, that's how it is. I mean, it helps you understand how to avoid crashes. But I mean, I had a lot of fun. And then on the official series race this week. Um, or last week they were at Bristol and I ran top five most of the races there, but I didn't actually finish top five in some of them because some of them I got got taken out by somebody else, whether it was a lap car or was trying to avoid a wreck and got ran over from behind. And there was one I had the lead uh, on Sunday. I had the lead, and then um, some some lappers in front of me were wrecking, and I tried to slow down to avoid it. And then the second place guy. Uh, crap. Yeah, Pyle drove through me and and pretty much ended that race for me. Um, and so I was um just I was trying to like see if I could level up in that race, going from uh D level license to C C class license, and I uh, wasn't able to do it at Bristol. And then this week the official ARCA series is racing at a uh, Watkins Glen, and I've run two events so far, 
and I was able to um, finish top 10 in both and did not get taken out in both. And and um, the first one, like, nothing happened in that race, which is surprising to me that, like, nobody got taken out in the first lap going into Watson's Glen in the first turn. And I was able to get through that um, unscathed, basically. Um, in this last race, uh, the first lap, there was some action, but I was able to avoid the wreck, uh, which I was um, glad that I was able to do. And... Um, it was just, um, the first lap was kind of crazy, but then after that I was able to, um, get through there without any incidents. So I'm kind of, kind of progressing my way back up in the, um, license class and hopefully this week, maybe I'll, um, license up and get into that C class and, um, face some better competition. But, um, it's, I feel like I'm improving, um, you know, just trying to take care of my stuff and, and, you know, just save the tires for the end and and just you know try to avoid wrecks and all that but having fun throughout it so um it's been it's been good yeah you're basically doing what dawson's doing except in a digital sense so at least you're able to go and experience that i kind of wish i could do that myself but uh hopefully soon i uh, will be able to do that on my end i'm at philip g matthew on twitter um, at Philip G Matthew 28 on Instagram and um, on Facebook, uh, Philip G Matthew. There, uh, my uh, my WordPress page is philipgmatthew.com. You can see the Grip Strip podcast on there. You can also see us on Podbean and on Apple Podcasts. Uh, for Josh, this is Phil. Uh, We will be back with the first of three episodes for the Indy 500, the Roundup, and whatever else we need to cover in more detail uh, here on the Rip Strip Podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, Give give us a like. Let us know what we can do or who we should interview to make the show better. Uh, Take care and uh have a good day or night or whenever you're listening